It's time for the 3304 Sports Podcast with your hosts, Dan Steinbeck and Cole Bourne Bergstrom. Welcome into the 3304 Sports Podcast. I'm your host, Dan Steinbach. I'm with Cole Bjorn Bergstrom. Uh, we've got a pretty packed show today, so why don't we just get into it? Cole Bjorn, how are you? Uh, I'm doing pretty well. Uh, I mean, not much to complain about. It's been a pretty busy sports week with uh, everything starting to come up. How about you? I'm doing all right. I'm doing all right. How about this? How about we move this news to this front, uh, and then we can get into the other thing right after it. Uh, let's just talk about last night. Let's talk about the NBA draft. Obviously, I am very ecstatic. My Detroit Pistons taking Cade Cunningham. Um, other than that, I was a little – I, I kind of wanted Troy Weaver to move back up into the first round, kind of like he did last year, but uh, it does not soil the night for me um, because he, he makes the obvious choice. He makes the pick that, you know, hopefully Cade turns out to be this all-star, superstar, all-NBA-type caliber player. Um that can help just change this franchise around. And I mean, just thinking about it either way, I mean, it's either he doesn't become that or he does. And even if he doesn't become that, he's still, I feel like he's almost guaranteed to be a really good player just because of the skill set that he brings. Um, so yeah, I mean, obviously very excited. Rest of the draft for Detroit. Um, like I said, I was kind of hoping that they moved back up into the first round. Uh, but they moved down in the second round. They got rid of uh, Mason Plumley, um, and some of their second round picks. I mean, look, I, I don't really care about second round picks most of the time. Uh, I'm, I'm I'm a Big Ten basketball fan, and I mean these are two big names in college basketball as a whole: uh, Isaiah Livers from Michigan and uh, Luca Garza, obviously from Iowa, National Player of the Year. I mean, look, if they both make the roster, that's great. If they don't, it's whatever. It might be fun to watch them in summer league. Uh, they probably end up in the G League this year. I doubt either of them really cracks a rotation uh, with Detroit. Isaiah Livers is intriguing to me, I think, just because of his uh, shooting ability. Luka Garza, I, I don't feel fits the NBA, though, just because, I mean, he's not good defensively, and he's offensively, he's not this super dynamic athletic center. He's fit for the college game, definitely. Um, but, but it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. Other than that, rest of the draft, nothing I was too surprised by. I, I wasn't able to follow it too much. This draft last, I didn't really get me that excited. Just looking at some of the top prospects outside of like Cade and maybe Evan Mobley and Jalen Green. I really do do like Jalen Suggs. So the fact that he goes fifth rather than in the top four, um, I feel like is a really good pick for the magic at five. It's oh, yeah. bad because they're a bad franchise when it comes to developing players. And now Jalen Suggs is going there. So um, I hate to say that his career is over, but going, going to Orlando isn't necessarily the best, uh, the best outcome for an NBA rookie. Um, what, what were your thoughts on the draft last night? And then there are a couple, there, there are two teams I want to highlight only because they had multiple picks in the lottery. Yeah, for sure. Um, I definitely want to go through the top 10, but I mean, yeah, uh, you know, shocker that Detroit goes with Cade Cunningham, you know, uh, d- definitely didn't see that on my board, but you know, in, in all, in all realism, uh, I, I know we talked about this about a month ago. I'm just really happy for y'all and that y'all are going to have this like, excitement around your team. And the fact that your team is what we've even talked about as well. So young, 
and being able to get someone like Kate Cunningham into the team. Um, it's, he's just a very special player. Um, I remember even talking uh, when we talked back in March uh, when the Big 12 tournament was going on and we talked about uh, when it had to get like uh, canceled and whatnot. And I remember, I think I even talked on the pod with you about how like special Cade Cunningham looked in that game against Baylor and how he was very much the difference maker for that Okie State team. And he's just another one of those kind of like Big 12 guys in general that like they'll pop up onto the smaller Big 12 teams and uh, they'll kind of become like a star, kind of like Trey Young going to OU. OU wasn't a great team, but Trey Young was incredible. Uh, Marcus Smart even was like, Okie State wasn't a great team, but he was an incredible player there. And then back with Okie State with Cade Cunningham. Um, And you've got even like, you know, more guys to look at though. Now that I think about it, a lot, of, a lot of it's in Oklahoma, but um, you know th- that was a great pick. But uh, th- th- there's definitely some good picks and definitely some uh, picks that I think we can talk about. Um, maybe if you can, uh, if we can see some sleepers and whatnot. But to quickly run through that top ten, just Jalen Green to Houston makes a lot of sense to me. I think it's really good. He's a solid shooter. Mobley's an incredible player. Again, I've I've watched him decimate my, my Jayhawks in the second round of March Madness. Uh, he is someone that, you know, he has it from range, but he's really more known for his physicality on the inside. And if I have it right, Jared Allen is penned to be a free agent, but he could be brought back by Cleveland. So this gives him flexibility. And then, yeah, Suggs was a great pick at five. You have Scotty Barnes at four to go into the Raptors. OKC got a uh, young Australian, Josh Giddy. And I think there was some ESPN thing that basically said his downsides was basketball and the fact that he had, that was a hilarious graphic. I saw that on Twitter. Um, I was at work, I was at work last night, so I wasn't able to watch. So I was just relying on Woj and Shams to spoil the draft for me. Um, And when I saw that they were picking Josh Giddy, I was thinking to myself, okay, I kind of remember that name looking through mock drafts, but uh, I don't remember where he's from. And then I looked, okay, he was from the NBL. And then I saw on Twitter, uh, some Thunder fan account tweets out. So basically you're saying his weaknesses are basketball. Hang on, I want to pull up this picture because this was so funny. (laughs) You can keep going on, but when I get it. Yeah, uh, I think I saw it from you. So, yeah. uh, It was was great. All right, you can carry on with the rest of the top 10. And I, I just want to find this picture, man. This is funny. And, and even though it's to say this, I'm actually going off of like the CBS NBA uh, article um, for the, for this as well. So it, it will say that this article specifically sa- says that his only obvious weakness is the three point shot. But if he can develop that, he's got uh, the potential to be special. So that's what C- the CBS analyst said on this. Uh, Golden Hang State on. took let nothing. Me, let me just let me just yeah. say let me just say this. <laughs> it is so funny. Weaknesses. Ball handling, shot creation, assertiveness, outside shooting, on-ball defense, and athleticism. Like, come on, man, what? Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's like he's meant to be playing basketball, so what is he good at? <laughs> Wait, hang on. Is this the same? Hang on, I want to see if this is a Photoshop or if this is the same, because I'm looking at now a post about Jonathan Kaminga, and it's a very similar thing, and it's Weaknesses, shot no, selection, Kaminga's ball handling, control, turnovers, outside shooting, defensive effort, discipline. <laughs> that that was the one thing that was specifically there with Kaminga, which is a great, you know, lead into him. I know he's good. And honestly, I kind of want to see him go to Orlando. I just thought that it really worked with him. But Kaminga, what an amazing pickup at Golden State. I think 
if if they're able to get the discipline stuff in check, like he is going to be solid for them. And we've talked about replacing Draymond. That could be their guy. Like he's solid. He's someone that was just playing with the in the G League. I think alongside Jalen Green. Uh, then you got Orlando Magic again in the first round, taking Franz Wagner. Um, obviously, like the star man of Michigan last year, he was pretty good. And Sacramento, I I love the player. I don't like the pick, but it's Davian Mitchell to Sacramento. And then Memphis taking Zaire Williams out of Stanford at 10. Um, I mean, literally out of that top 10, other than the, the whole, you know, Josh Giddy uh, has a special potential, but apparently can't play basketball. <laughs> Beyond that, the only other pick that genuinely confuses me is Davian Mitchell. Because as I said, I love him. And we talked about how amazing those Baylor guards are. But you're on a team that has currently, you know, Buddy Heald, um, uh, Tyrese Halliburton, De'Aaron Fox, and you're adding Davian Mitchell to it. And I think they may even have like another guard. Like you, you can't just play a full team of guards. Yeah. Um, I, I do agree with you with uh, the like potential fit. It, it's tough because I, well, first of all, I think Buddy Heald has to be on the trade block eventually. Um, yeah. He, you know, there were talks about the Lakers, uh, and we'll get into them because they obviously made a big move last night as well. But, you know, but Buddy Heald is certainly almost on his way out. You know, De'Aaron Fox got his massive, massive extension. And, man, I don't know. I honestly feel like De'Aaron Fox might be on the move out too. This is because the Kings are a inept organization and haven't been able to build around their guard yeah. players. Like a backcourt of De'Aaron Fox and Buddy Heald is nice. This is great. It's really good, but then you're not able to build around that, and now you're taking Tyrese Halliburton and David Mitchell back-to-back drafts. So yeah. now it just seems like that era is just kind of over, and you weren't able to fill out their roster uh, around them. So it, it, it is bad, and maybe it points to a bad future for Halliburton and Mitchell because, I mean, again, it's, it's just bad front office work uh, and bad yeah. team building by Sacramento, which yep. honestly that doesn't surprise me because Sacramento has never really been that great of a – of organization uh, in recent years um if there's another pick that i am confused by man i I, to call this michigan state bias but i I don't get the franz wagner thing um he wasn't he was never really that great for michigan uh he never was their number one guy i mean guys like isaiah livers and especially hunter dickinson were always ahead of him in terms of the production on that team uh, he's definitely a project player. I think that's the thing with this draft that I am more weary of than previous draft classes. Like outside of Cade and for me, Jalen Suggs, and maybe for some people, Evan Mobley. Uh, and I, I, I didn't watch enough Evan Mobley. So maybe my opinion is a little weak on him. Mm-hmm. But outside of those three, everyone else is a project. And we get, obviously, there are a lot of project players in, yeah. in drafts. That's just how it goes. But I, I just feel like there was never a safe pick uh, here. I, I just didn't fall in love with any of these prospects outside of, you know, those top guys. So I can, you know, I, I can kind of see that looking for players outside of that. Like, uh, but again, the Franz Wagner thing, I did not understand um, for Orlando, but uh, other than that, the Scotty Barnes thing confused me as well, just because I, yeah, I mean, the, you know, the, the thing with Scotty Barnes, Suggs, I, I don't, I don't, I don't buy that. The thing with Scotty Barnes, which actually 
gets me intrigued is the fact of, I don't know if you've been hearing this, but there's been rumors around the league that Pascal Siakam might be on the block. And if there's a possibility that Siakam's traded, you know, that would, that would be why they draft Barnes because then they'd have Barnes and they'd have Ananobi and then they're going to get whatever they can for Siakam. So that's kind of what concerns me. The fact that Toronto might blow up their team a little bit. Yeah. But I also feel like if that's, the way we're looking at things. I mean, Kyle Lowry has to be out of there eventually, right? And I feel like... Oh, well, yeah, no, Lowry's, Lowry's gone. He's going to be a free agent, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, I don't know. It's It, it was definitely a little confusing. It kind of reminds yeah. me last year of uh, the Bulls taking Patrick Williams as high as they did, and he was just a hot night. Uh, it actually reminds me a lot like it because Scotty Barnes was never in that top four conversation, but then, you know, he was a hot name around draft night and then he gets taken in the top four kind of like Patrick Williams last year so Mm. that's where my mind is kind of on it and again I'm just a big Jalen Suggs fan so um I would have liked to see him go higher but you know we'll see how it all plays out I'm really only worried about the Pistons at this point but if there were two teams that I wanted to focus on because of their multiple picks in the lottery it's got to be Orlando which we talked about and it's got to be uh Golden State because I do want to highlight yep. Golden State real quick. Because well, let me start with Orlando. I don't hate what they did. It's just you know Jalen Suggs to Jalen Suggs to me honestly could be the second best player in this in this uh, in this class. He could yeah. even be number one depending on how Cade does. But I, I'm really high on Jalen Suggs. The Franz Wagner thing. I just don't know. We we talked about them at the NBA trade deadline. We actually had a segment devoted to them because they were really the big movers. They got rid of their old core of. Uh, Vucevic, Aaron Gordon, and uh, Evan Fournier. And so now they're moving their franchise in a new direction with these younger players. And let me, let me just say something real quick. I need Twitter to stop with these whole, oh, our team's so good just because we can list out names of people. Like, just because you can name like 10 guys who are under the age of 25 on your team, it doesn't mean that they're going to be great. It doesn't mean your team's going to be good in the future. I just find that like yeah. so annoying. And I saw that uh, again today. Um, with just someone talking about all the young players in Detroit sports right now. It's like, yeah, cool. We finally have a bunch of young players that have potential, but just because you know their names, it doesn't mean that they're great. Um, so I'm going to need Twitter to stop with that. It, it just gets them way overhyped and way overrated really, really fast. Uh, and then I, I want to focus on Golden State because Golden State, it was I, honestly, I honestly am starting to feel that they're starting to mess up a little bit. They lose out on their championship core after Kevin Durant leaves. And obviously staff is getting older and Clay's uh, getting older and has been hurt the last two years. Uh, Draymond has just regressed a lot on the offensive end. Like he used to at least put up something. Now he's just nothing. He's still got that defense. He's still got that playmaking, but he doesn't provide anything on the offensive side of the floor. They've been trying to just plug guys in, you know, the the Andrew Wiggins of the world uh, who are decent, but they're not really – guys that are going to bring them back to championship status. And I don't, I just don't know. Drafting Jonathan Kaminga from an upside standpoint is very good at number seven. Jonathan Kaminga was a guy who I've always heard of as in that top five, but he falls to seven. So they take him. Okay. I don't hate that. Uh, and then I do really like Moses Moody uh, at 14, but man, it's just, I feel like they're missing out on the window of Steph Curry. Steph Curry just won a scoring title. He's still playing MVP caliber basketball. And you're trying to surround him with young guys that will need to grow to become something. And by that point, 
Curry's window might be closed. And that means your championship window might be closed. I, I don't believe, I don't buy into the hype of Clay Thompson coming back automatically makes them NBA championship contenders. I, I just don't buy that anymore. That's just not how the rest of the league is structured. I mean, you're looking at teams like the Clippers, you're looking at teams like the Suns, the Jazz, uh, the Lakers out West, who I think are still better than the Warriors, even with Clay. Um, so so it's, it's that weird dynamic that the Warriors front office is trying to play both sides, kind of. They're trying to bring Curry some help, but the way they're doing it through the draft is they're bringing him young players that they're trying to develop for the future. And it doesn't look like they're going to move off any of these players because James Wiseman, they've had time to move him. They've had time to move both of these picks, but it looks like now they're just going to be sticking with all these young players and hope that they can just be automatic solid role players for Curry, for Clay, and for, you know, the rest of the Warriors lineup. So I don't know what their plans are, but it just seems like they're starting to mess this up by trying to both win now and play for the future, which we've talked about. You can't do that. We, you yeah. can't play both sides. You have to make a full commitment to either side. Do you want to play for the future or do you want to win now? Look, if they want to play for the future, that's great. But you have Steph Curry. <laughs> you do not waste more years of Steph Curry uh, as long as you have them under contract. So you have to just go full throttle. You have to win now. You have to try. And I think that they're just they're just missing out on doing that by with the road that they're taking. Um, so so I, I just don't know how I feel about what Golden State's direction is. Um, well, what about you? What, what's your opinion on that? Uh, I mean, I can agree, but I only agree with the sense of if you're meaning that these picks could have possibly used in a trade to get an elite player for Seth. If you think that that would have been the case, if you think that they should have packaged seven and 14 and, uh, you know, whatever other players they could have thrown in there, like maybe if they had to throw in like a Wiggins or an Ubre or Draymond or multiple of those to go and get like an all-star, maybe even package some other picks. I can understand that. However, if we think back to last off season, I wouldn't be surprised if the rumors were true and it was getting likely that Golden State was highly targeting Giannis Antetokounmpo because I think it's something that you and I and a lot of people would agree on that he would be perfect for the Splash Brothers and you know now obviously Giannis a year later has a ring in hand and on top of that ring has a really solid team around him so that's not happening so now Golden State's at this point of where the players that are probably available for trading other than maybe Pascal Siakam, if Siakam is actually available, I don't think I don't think there's many players that you can really trade for that are going to fit. We've talked about Ben Simmons, and you've said that Ben Simmons could be good for this team, but the fact is, is something I've talked about is there's a reason that Ben Simmons is still a point guard and not a small forward. It's, it's either it's been a team decision or it's been hit or it's been his, and I would probably more lean towards the latter. So... I don't think that there's a multitude of options that are really going to buff Golden State this offseason that you can trade for. So what you're really then getting down to is, is when, when you look at the two prospects, uh, Jonathan Kaminga, uh, as I said, he's someone that has the potential to be really solid on the offensive side of the ball, but I think he has some defensive capabilities as well. There's a bit of a discipline issue. That's something that was highlighted. But beyond those things, like Kuminga is a pretty decent player. And I think it's someone that can replace Draymond Green um, immediately, maybe not, but relatively soon. 
And then you have Moses Moody, and he's someone that for Arkansas was an incredible shooter. Arkansas was a team that kind of came out of nowhere, at least I would think, for a lot of people. And the fact that they have a great shooter in Moody and really the leader of Arkansas is a good like acquisition for their guards, particularly with the young Nico Mannion. And you still have someone like Jordan Poole who could rotate. Um, though, I mean, if Poole's going to stay on this team, let's be honest, I don't know if they're going to really be able to play him as a guard anymore. If anything, it may be like a 3 and D wing if he can do that. But I, I, I think that they're building – like they have solid players to be behind Steph and be on that bench to help. My concern is, and which is, as I said, where I'd agree with you is, are you looking to trade and get either that third man or get a really good pairing with Steph? If that's what you need and that's what you're looking for. And that's something that you and I can agree on. Yeah. Golden state messed up. Otherwise I actually think these draft picks fit really well into the core of this team and I think that, sure, in the long term, it's going to be very beneficial. But even short term, I, I can see these guys getting minutes next year. Um, definitely Moody coming off that bench as a shooter. But I could even see Kaminga getting minutes. And if he develops well enough, maybe he could even take over for Draymond. I don't think you and I are both really high on Draymond. Uh, the only other team, well, actually here, the, like I, I, I am going to leave that spot for you. But then I do want to highlight another team and a couple picks. So, but I'll leave this for you. Like, like if you have, if you have any feelings on that. I mean, yeah, I, I'll agree. I'm not high on Draymond at this point in his career. I do think it would be time for the Warriors to move off him if they can. It, it's no secret that he's obviously the heart and soul of that team and obviously the leader on defense, but it, he, he's making too much money for them to not have to use him in trade talks, you know, just to create more flexibility for themselves. Like Andrew Wiggins and Draymond Green will have to be moved just because of, I mean, you're looking at the salary table for them. Uh, they're two of their top four earners. You got to move off of them if you want to create some flexibility to bring in younger, better players. And I, I do want to focus on one thing real quick. Um, and like you said, like obviously Jonathan Kaminga could become a good player. We just don't know when that's going to be. And even if he is the Draymond replacement, that's still two, three years down the line. I don't think the Warriors have that amount of time. Uh but regardless, th- there was a rumor last night. I don't know how accurate this is. Maybe it's just a-, a certain team blowing smoke. We were talking about this player to the Warriors in a couple podcasts ago. It was after the playoffs, and he had a bad showing in a game seven. And it's Ben Simmons. Apparently, the 76ers called last night and asked the Warriors for Andrew Wiggins, James Wiseman, seven and 14, and two future first-round picks in a Ben Simmons trade. And obviously, the Warriors declined that offer. Look. Yep. Ben Simmons to the Warriors is not a bad idea to me. Ben Simmons for that is a terrible idea for me. That's way too much capital. Uh, even though I'm saying, hey, you should be looking to move play, move picks for those players, Ben Simmons isn't worth all of that. He's worth some of that. I think you take a look at that. You know, want, you want to make salary cap work? How about Andrew Wiggins and one of those two picks last night and then maybe just another heavily protected future first? Because, I mean, his value is still high. It's definitely yeah, taking yeah. a big hit, but it's not that much. It's not Andrew Wiggins. It's not James Wiseman. And it's not four first-round picks. That's not Ben Simmons. Um, again, I don't know if that trade is right but or if that trade is accurate to what happened last night. Well, but 
man, I... It, it I, sounds... I, it's the type of move that I think the Warriors should have at least, at least counter-offered with a very low ball. Yeah. They look to go somewhere in the middle, and they do acquire a Ben Simmons because I, I still really think Ben Simmons on the Warriors is a great idea if he accepts a Draymond Green-esque role where, you know, the offense is really built around having a Draymond Green player uh, in that offense still. Even if they don't produce a lot of offensive points, it's still about generating looks for other players like Curry, like Clay, and, you know, maybe Wiseman, if you hold on to Wiseman there, and then you bring in a third player. I don't know. I think that would have been something the Warriors should have considered countering. Because, again, I think that their window with Steph is it's closing fast, and you're relying on a lot of young players to make a bunch of big steps. But when it doesn't happen, you know, you end up in the play-in game, and you don't really make deep playoff runs anymore. I'm interested to see uh, who else you want to highlight, though, in terms of teams. Actually, if I want to, if I could, I want to talk about one team that I'm starting to get a little frustrated with, and it's the Oklahoma City Thunder. They are taking the Boston Celtics strategy from the Paul Pierce Kevin Garnett <laughs> trade, and they are just pumping it full of steroids because, yeah. oh my God, Sam Presti traded again first. last night with Houston to get two future firsts. Now, they are very heavily protected, so they likely do not end up being first round picks. But, oh, my Lord, man, he's got, I think, 24 picks in the next five years. That's insanity. And, dude, I'm, I'm at the point where I'm just thinking this isn't going to work. This is not going to work. I don't care what happens because at this point, it's inflation. What happens when what, – what happened last was it started with the Paul George trade, moving Paul George from OKC to, L, to the Clippers, and then, obviously, the trade uh, moving Westbrook away. But, dude, <laughs> that many picks – I can't believe that this is going to come out well for Oklahoma City. And even if it – what would that even look like? Because if a Paul George is demanding that many picks, who's the superstar that you're going to get that helps you – that helps get you beyond what Paul George did? And it's going to cost you more, right? It has to. Or at the very least, it's going to cost you – you're going to give an asking price for a certain player, and everyone's going to be like, no, you have way more picks than that. I want more. And then a trade falls through. I, I don't find – Oklahoma City coming out of coming out of this whole plan successful I really don't well I, I want to hear what you think about that and then you can get to your other team you want to highlight I think I, I think there's an upside to first round picks with the fact of either you're getting a very talented young player or as we've seen with the Clippers and whatnot you can package them and you can go and get yourself an all-star I think there's a bright side and I, I, I like that OKC is doing this, but it's the question of when. When are these first-round picks going to be used for trades? When are they going to be used for, you know, getting these all-stars? Because as we saw with Giddy last night, he's a very developmental prospect, and he's someone that if he does develop well, sure, you could have a pretty solid three. But right now, the team is really shy Gilgis Alexander. I guess if they keep Kemba, technically speaking, Kemba is a good, uh, a, a, you know, he has been a good player. Maybe he can find himself in OKC like Chris Paul did. But, I mean, when you look at the team, it's just not a great team. They, they, they have some young guys, but as I said, it's a function of when. You, ha- you have Shy Gilders Alexander. Technically speaking right now, you do have Kemba Walker. When are you going to pull the trigger and build a team for Shy Gilgis Alexander to be able to shine? When are you going to, you know, sure you can make the playoffs right now and then, but when are you, when are you going to actually use the picks 
because you're not going to use all these draft picks that you've acquired to just get young talent because it's not going to work. I think I'm, um, I think I think I'm just still a little hesitant to buy into the strategy because the most recent one where we saw this, like I said, it was Boston. It was Danny Ainge, and he just sat on all those picks from Brooklyn and yeah. whatnot for so many years. And look, they ended up being Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, and then you got two seasons of Kyrie Irving. Like, that, like yeah. but that was it. And you sniffed, you sniffed the finals pretty early on. You took the, uh, or you, you sniffed success pretty early on. No, no, no yeah, they, they went to the Eastern Conference Finals that first year. Uh, Le, uh, LeBron was back in Cleveland. Yep. Or second year, I don't remember. Uh, but you know they they got there pretty early on, but that was with like Isaiah Thomas leading the way, not so much Tatum and Brown. And ever since then, they haven't gotten back to that. So it, I'm just still hesitant with this strategy of you know playing NBA 2K and loading up on first round picks at, yeah. in, in an off season and then moving them around all at once just to load up yep. to just create the super team. And then, like you said, you're gonna have to build around Shea because he's your best young player he's a very good young player and great yeah it's just he's got to get paid soon too so you're not gonna have cap flexibility forever so it's all about when he pulls that trigger you're you're absolutely right um yeah i I don't know i'm just very hesitant after this whole boston fiasco of how this is gonna play out because for boston it didn't and maybe sam presti is better as a gm than uh Danny Ainge but I don't know man I still don't see how they come out on top of this it is a decent idea but it is not a function of if the draft picks are going to work out that that's not how you can play it it's a matter of either when the players are going to work out that you draft or as I said it's when those trades are going to happen because you need to do something it's not like Shea Gilgis Alexander is going to be a young 20 year old forever you, you have to move, and you have to move as quick as you can. Um, but then even past that, uh, I'll, I'll highlight a couple picks that I really liked and a team I liked, but then the one thing for to even go back on Ben Simmons, just because this is crazy. I knew there was a lot of crazy rumors. Let's talk about some of the crazy – I do want to talk about, as we talked about them, just some of the crazy rumors that have been thrown out there of what Philadelphia thinks his value is. So – Obviously, you had the one that you hit up, which was the nail on the head with the Golden State one. Then you have one where it says, uh, currently I'm on SB Nation, and it says 76ers asked for every young player plus draft picks from the Cavaliers, with kind of the quote being from Zach Harper um, of The Athletic, being that um, they were looking at the number three overall pick, and then it said, uh, like a quote of, they would need to surrender every talented young player on the roster in addition to multiple future draft picks, including the number three which sounds ridiculous. That that basically sounds like they're saying... For Ben give us Simmons? Yes. Oh, my God. It, it basically sounds like they're saying, like, oh, we need Garland and Sexton and Okoro and Allen and Mobley. And it's like, no. Th- no, he's not that value. He's not that guy. You're joking me. That That's what it said. Oh, On top wow. of that, you have one that actually surprisingly sounds more reasonable, at least comparatively to that. And it was the offer that actually happened before draft day of apparently there was a deal on the table for Fred Van Vliet, OG Ananobi, and Toronto's number four pick. 
Mm, no. No, I, I still wouldn't do that. No, no, no. Like, I agree. It's not a good, it's not his value. Someone needs However, to drug test Daryl Morey. I think that that's what we need to do here. I think that's the only logical conclusion. So, so, someone in Philadelphia has given him some good stuff because, I mean, what are you doing? Wow. It's, it's crazy. And then you have one more, I think, that says 76ers likely want Bradley Beal or Damian Lillard for Ben Simmons because a lot of those <laughs> Yeah, I know. No, <laughs> that that's been a lot of the talk, specifically this past week and a lot of the summer. And it's like, do you guys not remember that you dragged him in the media? Yikes! It's like you want your. It's the phrase of like something of like you know you want your cake and eat it too. It's like no, you can't drag him in the media and then say yeah no he's worth five first round picks and a few all stars. He's not worth that. Next call, next, next, next call to the Chicago. Yeah, we want Zach Levine, Prime Michael Jordan, Prime Scottie Pippen, and uh, you know what? Throw Tony Kukoc in there. Oh, it, it's, it's, like in the, it's like in the WWE when they pretend that it's not aired on television. We saw. We saw. You can see it. You can go back and watch it. It's not like it came out of nowhere. We watched the playoffs, and we saw that Ben Simmons was a huge part of the reason why you guys cannot advance further. How are you guys acting like we can't see it? We watch the same games. It's ridiculous. The fact that these things are coming out for Simmons. It's God. That's insane. That's so annoying. Just accept the fact that you're not going to get what you want for him. He's not this, you know, LeBron-esque prospect that everyone thought he could be. He's, He's not that. He's not. Nowhere close. So just take the value that you can for him and just fix your team. But beyond that, the picks that I really wanted to highlight was the Moses Moody pick because I did think that that was really good. But then beyond that as well, I did want to highlight the Corey Kispert pick from Washington. I thought that was really good. He and Hachimura, of course, played together a couple of years ago for Gonzaga. And I think that we saw in March Madness and throughout his time at Gonzaga that Kispert is a very solid player. And I think that adding um, that type of shooter next to uh, Bradley Beal, uh, apparently that was a lot of the reason why Westbrook was getting traded to free up some of that cap to get, you know, these shooters. We'll talk about that Westbrook, Westbrook trade. But to get a shooter like Kispert, I like it. I think that that's actually a really solid move by Washington. Um, I, I don't know if you, if you saw that deal and if you had anything to feel on that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I'm not too opinionated on the Corey Kispert thing, but okay. yeah, I'm still, I'm honestly still looking at, at Twitter just to see more stuff about Ben Simmons. Yeah. And then, I mean, the only confusing pick was Primo, but apparently he's a really talented shooter out of Bama. So I guess we'll give it time. Spurs are, you know, that it seems like in the past few years they've just loved to draft guards so hopefully primo can work out but the team that i really want to highlight that actually you know i don't know if it's going to work but they intrigued me with their draft process is the los angeles clippers the clippers uh, took their draft and they drafted the young keon johnson pretty solid guard out of tennessee but then on top of keon johnson the clippers went ahead and also drafted i, I just need to find the names here through the draft they got a uh, jason preston the guy that we hyped up for Ohio when they came up against UVA, the reason why Ohio beat UVA, um, really good leader for Ohio, really solid on the uh, on the court. And then they also drafted Brandon Boston Jr. Uh, 
was he? Kentucky, right? I'm, try, I'm trying to find the pick. I just remembered that they uh, got Brandon Boston Jr. Uh, yeah, Brandon Boston Jr. out of Kentucky. You know, another really talented uh, young player, good development guard. Um, and then I swore that they got, like, one other guard. I could be wrong, but, you know, basically the Clippers loading up on guard play. And I, I found it intriguing, particularly because of the names that they landed, because I like Preston. Um, I know Keon Johnson's solid, and then I know Brandon Boston can be solid. And I know I think Brandon Boston, I think, could also play the 3 and D wing. I think that is a possibility. Um, just just from what I kind of generally know of that situation. But, yeah, I, I I don't know if you really pay attention much to their draft, but I, I was like, you know what? It's, it's intriguing. It, it has me – it has piqued my curiosity, so to say. Yeah, it's interesting. And, I mean – it's very similar, I think, to Golden State. At least Kawhi and Paul George are still a little younger and still have a little bit longer to go. But it's that same, oh, we're trying to... It's tough for teams in contending status with tough salary cap space uh, trying to build around their championship core with the young players because you just don't know how they're going to work out. So hopefully they don't put all their eggs into one ba- into like a couple baskets with these guys and they still go out and yeah. sign those veterans that can actually contribute. And then hopefully they, you know, just find some pleasant surprises here and there. So uh, I, I like that you highlighted the Clippers because I think that they were definitely a team that can go unnoticed. And Jason Preston is obviously an amazing story. Uh, so looking forward to see what he does in the NBA. Um, all right. I want to move off the draft now because we've been talking about it for a long time. Didn't think we would go that far into it. But yeah. I want to talk about COVID because we, we haven't talked about enough about COVID in the United States or just in the world in the past, you know, oh, I don't know, two years. So Look, I just want to start off real quick. I want to start off with the CDC because I want to go on a quick little rant. I don't know what they're doing with this whole thing because obviously this is news that affects all of us. Um, We might be going back to masks or at the very least, well, actually, I think we have. I think we have gone back to masks, but oh my gosh, this is what's ridiculous about the CDC. They think people are going to listen. I think that's the part. They're not being realistic. And this is what my problem was just two months ago when they basically said, hey, if you're vaccinated, you can stop wearing masks. They should have known that people who were not vaccinated were going to stop wearing masks because they knew that the chances of you being asked for a vaccination card at places of business is very low. And it's not because of HIPAA or anything like that, because anyone who thinks that like, oh, if they ask for a vaccination card, it's HIPAA, that's just, just no, that's just not how it works. Um, they knew that people in places of business were not going to ask for vaccination cards because that's a very easy way to turn to turn business away from people who, you know, maybe don't have their card on them or the people who aren't vaccinated. Uh, it just turns away business and businesses don't want to do that. They want to get money back because they lost a lot of money over the past year. Um, but anyway, so the CDC not knowing that masks were just going to be not worn regardless of vaccination status was mistake number one. Now, two months later, this whole Delta variant thing is going crazy. And now they're, they're saying, you, we're bringing masks back, but only in places of high transmission spread uh, risk or something like that. And it's like, okay, where are those places? Well, if, in order to access those places, you need to go to the CDC website and you need to uh, look, at, look up your county in a big United States county map and you need to see if your county is deep red. And this is a horrible idea because how is this going to get enforced? How would this get enforced? You'd have to listen to government officials. You have to rely on them to, you know, broadcast this 
pretty much regularly if you are in one of those deep red counties. Um, you have to rely on people to hear this news somehow and then go out and see, hey, is my county in the deep red? And then you have to rely on them to make the conscious choice to say, oh yeah, it's in the deep red. I will wear my mask because it's what the government's telling me to do, which has not been the case at all in the United States in the past year plus. So what they're trying to do here is terrible timing. Honestly, I still believe that if they wanted to prevent this whole thing two months ago, they just should not have said anything. They just shouldn't have said anything and we should have just kept going on. Maybe we'd be in a different place right now. The vaccination numbers are flatlining because of course they are in the United States because I don't know, but it's just frustrating. It's frustrating to watch. It's frustrating to see. And now there's talks about, I don't know, lockdowns again. I don't think it's going to get that bad. I don't think it should get that bad, but I mean, Jesus, man, it's, it's, it's tough to, it's tough to look at. Do you have any opinions on the CDC? Because man, the, like, I, I believe, I obviously believe in the science. I believe that like, yes, yeah. we should be going back to masks, but they need to think of it realistically. And just even two months ago, man, I was, I was in the boat where it's like, man, they're making a mistake right now because no one's going to pay attention to this. They're just going to think, oh, we're all back to normal now. People have been waiting for this for so long. And now that you gave them, you gave them an inch, they're going to take a whole mile. Take a mile. Yep. Man. No, I, I completely uh, agree with you on this. I think we even talked about, I, I, I think, no, we talked about this when the CDC dropped it and we still recommended just to wear masks and, you know, look what's happened. The, 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 the fact that we're now going to be having to go back to masks. Um, it, it's, it's partly because of the Delta variant, but I mean, you know, it's going to be a large part of the thing of, we talked about this, you just mentioned it, the fact that there's people that aren't vaccinated that are going to be going around and acting like they are and acting like everything's fine when it's not fine. We're not in an endemic scenario. We're still in the pandemic. That's, you know, a large reason why we got the vaccine to protect not only ourselves, but to protect others. And just, just the fact that we're in this situation to me is ridiculous. And I, it, it's annoying. We, we should be at, at such a better point. And we aren't as a country because people are being inconsiderate. So I don't know, man. I, I mean, the thing that really makes me the most nervous, and I hope that this doesn't happen, but it makes me nervous with the Delta variant and with everything that's happening and having to go back to masks that we could possibly have to go back online for the semester. And this really does affect us. And it will really hurt if we have to, particularly when we've been built up for the past, you know, particularly us, we've been built up for the past like four months, five months from tech that we're going to be back stronger than ever. We're going to be, you know, hundred percent in lane stadium and we're going to be, uh, you know, in classes at full mat, like at, at, at a full mass, et cetera, et cetera. And if it's just all going to fall flat on his face, cause people aren't, you know, that, that, that people aren't believing the science of it. It's just, it, it hurts for me, particularly for someone who's in the science field. It's just, Science is science. Please trust. It's not like these people. No, you're right. You're right. Um, and, and if anything, this is going to add to the anti-vaxxers. Oh, well, if it's a vaccine, why should we? Or I don't even know, man. Like, 
oh, if you get the vaccine, it's not protecting you from the virus. Look, we're still getting the spread. It's like, yeah, obviously not everyone's vaccinated, but it doesn't stop you from getting COVID. It lessens symptoms and it stops hospitalizations, which is what we're going for right now. Um, yeah, man, it's, it's just a really tough time. And I was looking at Montgomery County uh, the other day. Hopefully it's still the, still this way, but it was in yellow, which is good. It doesn't mean that uh, masks are necessary there. I want to see what Virginia Tech says about this as we get closer and closer to school. I mean, mm-hmm. we're at the end of July right now. And we're, we have one day left in July and then we have August and, you know, we go back to school then. So we, we go back to school in like a little over three weeks. So it's, um, it's kind of important that they talk about, Hey, well, what are we going to do? Or what are we, uh, what are we planning to do? I, I guess that's up to the Virginia government. Um, I don't know. I, I, I still feel confident that in-person classes are going to be a thing and Lane Stadium is going to be at hundred percent and whatnot, but man, it's just scary um, to hear all this stuff coming back up again. And it could have easily been prevented. Obviously we've been saying this forever. Um, Let's just focus on COVID to the NFL, just because there's a little bit of news coming out of there. So, and look, some pretty solid work here, I think by NFL front office, because they're hardlining, you know, if your team does not get, uh, does not reach the vaccination threshold, you got, you're at risk. Um, you are at risk of some pretty heavy fines, not only monetarily, but straight up, if they have to postpone any more games like last year, it's going to be a straight up forfeit. Whatever team has an outbreak cause, it's an automatic forfeit for that week. And that could potentially lead into multiple weeks of straight losing football. And for many teams that are going to be in the playoff hunt, affording to lose a game on a COVID forfeit is not good. So I really like that the NFL is taking this strong of a stand. Um, you know, there has been some flip-flopping. I have seen, I haven't seen Cole Beasley yet. I don't know if he's gotten vaccinated, but I have seen Taylor Decker of the Lions. He was against the vaccine a couple months ago. Pretty much just said all the, you know, stuff you'd expect to hear from someone who isn't buying into the vaccine. Like, oh, it's not FDA approved and all that. Um, or it's just not something he believes in. But now he's got it. Now he's gotten it. Hasn't given a reason why, but pretty much the reason is I don't want to get fined. I want to be able to, you know, have my family on road trips with me. I want to be able to travel with my teammates, that kind of thing. Because that, that, that's some other stuff too. The NFL is restricting travel for and restricting a lot of things for players that aren't fully vaccinated. And I think it's a, a very strong stand that they are making for the people that they employ, which is going to be something that we see, I think, a lot of around the country and around the world. You know, if you are not vaccinated you cannot work here uh i think it's a very strong stance by the nfl i think it's the right stance to take uh and it's frustrating still to see a team like washington be at the bottom of the league when it comes to covid vaccination rates and it just hurts my heart to see ron rivera who i think is an awesome coach i really like him in washington i don't like the team but i respect their coach a lot uh, obviously a cancer survivor so he is immunodeficient and the fact that he is so frustrated with his players for not getting the vaccine yeah. and still having former players like TJ Ward come out and run their mouth and spit just straight nonsense on social media saying that his choices have let, uh, led Ron Rivera to get cancer. Mm-hmm. And it basically means like, oh, you are you know you're immunodeficient. You might as well quit coaching. Well, if that's the case, TJ, then a lot of people should just, I guess, quit living their lives if they're immunodeficient because 
they can't control that. I, it was so frustrating I, to see that. I was literally going to bring that up. Yeah. Man, I, I don't That's one of the how most you, ridiculous things. How do you think that way? How do That's you the think most, that way? Uh, that, that made me so mad. That's one of the most ridiculous things I've ever seen. He basically blames Ron Rivera for getting cancer. Dude, I don't even know. His, like, excuse or something was that he knew people in his family that had cancer because they smoked. I don't know what kind of cancer Ron Rivera had, but I'm pretty sure people who smoke, look, I don't smoke cigarettes. I don't, you know, smoke tobacco. I don't do any of that. Um, I know that it's, like, dangerous for you, but even still, I don't think the people that are smoking tobacco, well, first of all, a lot of cases, it's addiction. It's bad, and, you know, we need to help them. But in other cases uh smoking tobacco people aren't doing it to get cancer they aren't choosing to get cancer it's not something you choose to do um man i don't know that was so weird and there's still a lot of nfl players that are against the vaccine um it's tough uh it's tough to see still hopefully these mandates by the nfl and these uh new rules and these punishments uh can get those vaccination levels up above the threshold that they want to do yeah i mean i'm i'm gonna put it like this i got my second dose of the vaccine may 13th 2021 i have my vaccination card on my phone so it has been two months and i have not uh, let's let's take it like this just a couple days ago, I had my general health assessment for the year. Yeah, you know, the, the, the yearly checkup that you do with your doctor. And on top of that, you know, I've, I've been worried about some things as well with my own personal health, including um, I've always had concerns that I might have low metabolism, for example. And I asked my doctor and I'm like, hey, can I go ahead and find a way to get this stuff checked up? And she's like, yeah, sure. Let's go ahead and get you tested. So I had five vials of blood taken out of my arm. And on top of that, I also was checked for, you know, other stuff as well. Other than like one thing where I was barely off, everything else, I was in the normal range on blood ranges for everything. My blood is normal blood. There is nothing changed with it. I have had no mutation, no anything. I haven't had like, you know, a specific pain come out because of having this. I am fine. If you're willing to go and get the flu vaccination every year and you think that that's acceptable and you're willing to go and get some of these other other things, realize, particularly for even students that have to come into Virginia Tech, you have to get other vaccines and booster shots to be able to go to college alone. Why are you against the COVID-19 vaccination, something that we can statistically say has affected our country and has killed 600,000 people in our country alone? That's not across the world. That's the United States. How can you sit there and say that, you know, oh, the vaccine is bad and it's not going to work or help or et cetera, et cetera. And you're willing to say, oh, flu vaccine, put it in. Oh, this vaccine, put it in. It doesn't make sense to me. I don't know. Um, and obviously there are people out there that, you know, if they talk with their doctor and they are informed and they have to make that choice to not get the vaccine at the moment, obviously they're well within the rights to do that and they should do that. Sure. Yeah. 
you know, if they yeah, have yeah. some underlying health concern that a vaccine could, uh, you know, hurt with. But the rest who are just healthy individuals um, who are, and again, it's not for you if you are a healthy individual. I'm a healthy individual. I don't have anything necessarily wrong with me. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, like, did I get exposed to COVID? No. Did I still get the vaccine? Yes, because I know that if I was to get COVID, it lessens my own symptoms, but it also, you know, helps prevent spread. And, and even still, it very, it diminishes my chances of getting it a lot. And even though I still did, it would lessen my symptoms. And, you know, we, we don't have to get too deep into vaccine science, but yeah, no, it, it's frustrating to see, you know, NFL players that are so much against this and at this point now it, it come, it'll come to not only personal costs but cost to the team and that won't help them when it comes time for uh games and if we do i think we'll see a game get forfeited this year honestly no because i do believe by the end of training camp and by the start of week one every team will be at the threshold um i don't know it's it's just going to be it, it's going to be interesting to see how this all plays out I, I want to get off this real quick because we did forget one NBA thing last night. Uh, the Lakers traded for Russell Westbrook. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we just completely decided to bypass that. Um, but honestly, I'm, I'm confused on the return. I don't think Russell Westbrook is as valuable as he used to be. But when your headline train is Montrez Harrell and Kyle Kuzma, I feel like that's kind of an uneven return uh, for Washington. I, it's just... I, I honestly don't know how like, – does this help the Lakers? I guess. Um, Westbrook's obviously a big name, still a star player. I don't know the fit. I feel like it'll work just because he has LeBron on his team, and LeBron seems to work well with most of his players or most of his teammates, uh, unless it's that one year we had, like, D. Wade and Isaiah Thomas on the Cavs, and then they got shipped off half a season later. Um, do I think that, ha- that happens with Westbrook? Honestly, no, because I don't feel like there's a team that's going to be willing to take him on at the trade deadline, even if he is doing poorly for LA. Uh, I don't know. It's an interesting big three. I just don't know how Westbrook fits next to LeBron, but I'm sure they can make it work. And, you know, health prevailing next year, they'll do better uh, than I think the seventh seed. I, I feel like they might have some free agency maneuvering to work around, but. I don't know if they're a championship team. I still feel like the Suns and the Jazz are there. Uh, Clippers, too. You know, whatever the Mavericks do this offseason, if it's unlording Porzingis. Um, I don't know. I don't think this really puts them over the top. How about you? Uh, I mean, I will look at it at each end, uh, particularly for the Wizards and for the Lakers. I'm just trying to pull up two things to stats real quick. Um, so as, as I said, um, which was part of the mention for this trade was that they wanted to free up a little bit of cap for the Wizards to be able to put more shooters around Beal rather than just having the Westbrook contract. So for the Lakers, I think this does kind of make sense. And the reason I say that is if, if you look at how this past playoffs went, they lost to the Suns after they lost AD and AD getting injured. So Lakers are kind of a big two. It's LeBron and AD. Um, then AD was gone, so it just kind of became LeBron. Then AD came back, and he just wasn't quite the exact same AD just because, you know, he's working on injury. And the Lakers lose the series in six. 
now, rather than having a big two, the Lakers have a big three with Westbrook, someone who broke the triple-double record last year, um, you know, the all-time leader now. And on top of that, someone who, when he was actually healthy in Washington, actually played pretty well. So now, rather than the Lakers being a team of LeBron and AD, which did work, it got him a ring, now it's a team, uh, a big three of LeBron, AD, and Russell Westbrook. So being able to have that for LA, I think makes a lot of sense. It's not like they gave up too much. As you said, they gave up Montrez, Kyle Kuzma, KCP in the 22nd overall pick. I honestly don't think that's that bad. Um, so for the Lakers, I actually think that this is a solid deal. It's just going to be a function of how the team's going to fully gel with Westbrook. Um, on the other hand, for Washington, um, looking at the stats, I mean, I just want to look at the stats, particularly for the shooters of KCP and Aaron, uh, uh, Aaron Holiday. I'll get to why on Aaron Holiday for a second. Um, KCP, first of all, still a pretty efficient shooter when I look it up. 43% from, the, uh, from overall field and 41% from the three-point range. That's not that bad of a shooter. Um, then you look at Aaron Holiday, 39% from the field, 36.8% uh, from the three, with an 81% uh, – 80 or actually basically 82% from free throw. KCP's 86.6. Um, so you have two good shooters there. Uh, the reason why Aaron Holiday is the fact that the Wizards actually traded the 22nd overall pick with Indiana um, for Holiday in the 31st. But now the Wizards have Isaiah Todd, who is their 31st pick, um, someone who's going to be a, a, a decent backup, probably like four or five. Um, you have Kuzma, someone who was rumored yesterday to be in trade talks for either Buddy Heald or DeMar DeRozan, because apparently Spurs and Kings are both interested. So if, if the Wizards can, you know, hype that trade up and possibly trade Kuzma for one of those guys, I think that would be incredible. You have Montrezl Harrell, someone who can be a good uh, center rotation. And then you have KCP and Aaron Holiday, both solid shooters coming off your bench the only thing i think washington's really missing right now is you know the one that they the you know the point guard which is what they just traded for uh you know this they just traded westbrook um so i think if they're able to get enough money freed up and can get a good point guard you know who knows maybe a little bit of kyle lowry and have a rotation of lowry and holiday i think the wizards honestly benefit from this trade too i think this is a win-win deal the Wizards are putting a little bit more shooters around uh, Bradley Beal and adding bench depth, which is something that the Wizards were really struggling with last year. And the Lakers get that third man to where if AD or LeBron go down the playoffs, you have Westbrook. Or if Westbrook goes down the playoffs, rather than three, you have two. So I like the deal for both ends. Honestly, I think it's – looking at it, it actually I think is a pretty decent imbalance deal, which feels weird to say, but it, it is, at least in my eyes. I don't know. I just think the thing that you're pointing towards is Bradley Beal staying in Washington long-term. And I don't, I'm not buying that at this point. I think that, I, I don't think he's gone quite yet, but I don't know. He's, he's going to get out of there eventually just because sure, but the I mean, team around but, him right now is not great. Yeah. But I mean, the talks are, is that he wants to stay in Washington at the moment. So the, from what we've, what we heard yesterday, uh, with the Trey talk was, you know, we heard Trey talk throughout this week that Beal was getting looked at by like the Warriors and the Lakers and whatnot. Uh, but I think we, it was announced yesterday that Beal has no intention of leaving Washington this offseason. So for Washington as a team, this makes sense. I mean, for the long term, if Beal wants to stay, who knows? But right now, I think this does make sense for Washington. As I said, they're really just looking for 
a decent point guard. You have Kyle Lowry in free agency. Um, Devontae Graham's going to be hitting free agency. Um, I don't know what other, other point guards you have, but if Washington has, you know, some uh, cap space now and can possibly free up more, you know, I, I would be very intrigued if they can do something like that. Yeah, yeah, maybe, maybe definitely for sure. All right, um, let's move on to the, you know, let's do MLB trade deadline real quick. Let's move that up just because there's some big news. We can get through a little quicker. Don't want this to be a too long episode. I mean, maybe it's kind of, kind of hard to avoid at this point just because we had a two-hour episode last week and we might be pushing that again this week. Um, let's talk MLB trade deadline. Let's just talk some of the big movers. Uh, Dodgers and Yankees, rich get richer. Uh, Dodgers uh, acquire... Um, uh, Danny Duffy from the Royals, a uh, longtime Royal player. Uh, so they add another arm into that rotation. Mm-hmm. And speaking of filling, our, filling uh, arms in that rotation, how about a massive trade uh, between the Dodgers and the Nats, getting Max Scherzer and Trey Turner uh, in exchange for a bundle of prospects? They take uh, the Nats take away the Dodgers, both the number one and number two prospects in Josiah Gray. Uh, and Kybert Ruiz, uh, as well as some Gerardo Carrillo and Donovan Casey, uh, some mid-range prospects for LA. Um, man, I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> well, let me just say it is. It was so funny seeing the uh, Dodgers swipe Max Scherzer away uh, from the San Diego Padres, their division rival, uh, yeah. yesterday because I, I saw Ken Rosenthal tweet about Max Scherzer to the Padres. It was almost a done deal. But then the Dodgers sweep in and not only take Max Scherzer, but also star young shortstop Trey Turner. Um, the, the Nationals had a lot of moves yesterday. They did trade with the Padres. They sent Daniel Hudson, a really great uh, reliever for them uh, yesterday. They also sent away Kyle Schwarber to the Red Sox. Um, other than that, I'm just looking through these to see if there's anything I've been missing. Uh, Nationals. Oh, they sent away Brad Hand. Um, I haven't followed the Nationals a lot. The we were talking about them a little bit before the show, and you know their record isn't great. Uh, they're eight games under five hundred. Um, obviously, trade deadline is today. This is Friday, July thirtieth at four. So I'm expecting more moves to happen. Uh, a couple of days ago, it was pretty notable notable that the Padres got Adam Frazier from the Pirates. Uh, and then some other big name moves. Uh, Joey Gallo and Anthony Rizzo are going to the Yankees. So I, I don't know where you want to start with all that. Do you want to focus on the Dodgers? Do you want to focus on the Nationals selling away all their players? Do you want to focus on the Yankees? Where, where do you want to go from here? I'm definitely going to focus on Nats. It's, it blows. Um, just because I still have a bit of an attachment to the team. It's just, it, it's, it's the fact that, you know, the, the Nats had, I think, four really, like, main players. They had Juan Soto, Trey Turner, Kyle Schwarber, and Max Scherzer. That was most of the Nationals' team. Those That was their, like, insane the, – the, there's some more guys there, of course, but those are, like, four of the named talents that, like, I specifically know. And they traded three of them. Uh, Trey Turner was, like, tossed about as someone who could possibly get moved, but Schwarber I didn't think was going to get moved. Um, Scherzer was one that, like, it sounded like it was eminent. So, if anything, it's like the, the, the Nats need to have a reason for players to come to their team other than, you know, just the fact of they have a uh, – they, they, they now have, like, too many prospects, most likely. 
So basically the Nats pitch now is we have Juan Soto and we have a plethora of prospects and at least one of them will work out. Yeah. Smile. Eh? Look, we have a lot of prospects. We have a lot of guys. They can possibly work. And Sure, the Nats have been good at, like, producing prospects. You have Bryce Harper, you have Juan Soto, you have Trey Turner. Um, but fact is, is you can't just – it's what we talked about with the NBA. You can't just put all of your bags in, uh, eggs in the prospect uh, into the prospect basket. Sure, you guys just – well, you know, you, you all won the MLB, like, a couple of seasons ago, but you, you can't just completely build into that ideology because it's not going to work you're never going to have a set team and you're never going to have a great team. So you needed to keep at least one of Schwarber or Turner Scherzer, as, as I said, it seemed like he was out the door and then, you know, you, you need to have a reason for people to come to the team. Now the Nats really just have Juan Soto as their all-star and a lot of guys that, you know, we're throwing darts at the wall. Let's hope that they'll stick. Look, man, I, I, I totally get what you're saying because that's been the Detroit Tigers for the last I don't know, four years at this point. Um, yeah. You know, hoping and praying the guys like Casey Mize, Tarek Skubal, Matt Manning, uh, who are all here now, we're going to turn into these world stoppers. And all the while you were looking at really putrid baseball. I mean, at the very least you have a Juan Soto because when I had the, well, you know, two years ago, the Detroit Tigers leading home run hitter was a guy named Brandon Dixon who, yeah, exactly. All right. So, um, at least you have a Juan Soto, but it, it seems like you're getting a pretty good, clean uh, return uh, for Scherzer and for Turner, which I, it, the price has to be high. Um, you know, I, I actually just saw a tweet where uh, this Kbert Ruiz guy, he's, he's pretty good. Like he's hitting pretty well. He's hitting like over 300 in AAA. He's hitting for some power. Um, so I think you should be excited about that, but no, it, it's, it's just the reality of the situation. You know, you're having, you're having to hope and pray that prospects in baseball, which, I mean, they don't have a high turnout rate, but you're, you're hoping on them to be kind of the saviors of your franchise. It's kind of where the Tigers are still right now. Yeah. They have some of the young guys up right now, but they're still waiting on guys like Spencer Torkelson, Riley Green, uh, Dylan Dingler, others like that um, to really start to fill out that rotation. And I mean, at the end of the day, uh, I mean, you look at the teams that are getting these big time players, Boston, New York, LA, uh, yeah. San Diego now. Tampa Bay doesn't really have that strong of a uh, payroll, but you know their ownership is still willing to make those moves. It's all about your front office. It's all about your front office willing yeah. to be aggressive and willing to spend the money. You know the Detroit Tigers. They have a very rich owner group. They have a top ten owner group in terms of uh, their available their 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 net worth basically, and yeah. they have one of the bottom payrolls in the league. It's just. It's just the fact that they're scared to spend money right now. Um, maybe that changes this offseason, but that's really what it comes down to. And look, rich get richer. It's just kind of how it is in baseball right now. You know, Dodgers, Yankees, Red Sox always have top payrolls. Um, so it's hard to keep those players when you're a team that's on the downswing like the Nationals or you're just not willing to spend the money uh, like some other teams in baseball. So um a very lively trade deadline. I don't know how much more noise I'm expecting in the next uh, three and a half hours. Um, but we'll see. We'll see how it goes. Uh, I doubt that Detroit is going to be involved in the deadline at all because Alabiel is ter- terrible at his job. But I digress. Um, I think we can move off of that now and we can get into some Olympics news. How about we just run through this really quick? 
and I mean, as quick as we can, because I mean, the Olympics have been a big storyline this past week. Uh, let's start with the Simone Miles stuff. Um, look, at this point, it's a little bit of old news. Not really old news. I mean, it was just the middle of this week. But look, I just want to say this. To everyone, like, prefaces this with, imagine if LeBron James and Tom Brady were doing this, what would the reaction be? I agree the reaction would be different. It doesn't mean the reaction would be any less wrong. If the reaction that Simone Biles is getting, and by the way, there's still a lot of negativity surrounding the Simone Biles thing. A lot of people who are saying, oh, imagine if LeBron James or Tom Brady did this, they seem to be missing all of the negative stuff that is matching all of the positive stuff. There's still a lot of negativity towards Simone Biles, uh, along with all the positivity that has been great to see, uh, reinforcing her decision uh, to you know, basically back out after, um, I think it was a bad stunt in qualifying. You know, she had a bad fall and she basically said, Hey, I'm, I'm done. And came out later. Like that's the thing. If you're not able to know where you are in the air and how your body is positioned and you're not completely in sync with your body, bad stuff can happen besides just getting bad scores and, you know, bringing your team score down. So I applaud someone by us for, uh, obviously taking this step and, you know, mental health in sports over the past few years has been great. It's been great to see the discourse, you know, open up, um, to have these conversations, to have these serious talks, uh, and, you know, mental health in this country and around the world is becoming something that is becoming more important to people. And I am fully supportive of it. Um, and to anyone that's saying, oh, well, the reaction would be different if it was LeBron or if it was Tom Brady, it's like, okay, well then how do we work as a society and how do we look within ourselves to make sure that the reaction on the positive end for Simone Miles is the same reaction we would have to uh, another superstar, uh, you know, having to take a break mental health wise. I think that uh, above all, we need to remember the humanity of these athletes and they're not just our puppets. They're not just our little entertainment pieces. Um, so yeah, like if LeBron James needed to take a, a day off uh, for the playoffs because, you know, a tragedy hit him or he's just not in a good mental space. I applaud that. And I would welcome that completely. And this would not be something that would tarnish anyone's legacy. Someone Biles and everyone's like, Oh, well, she's wearing all that goat stuff on her, uh, leotard and whatever. Yeah. She's the goat. Like, I, I don't know what else to say. She's getting moves named after her. She is on a completely different level. Uh, yep. she should be scored differently, but because she's so much better than everyone else, she literally has to have her scoring brought down to everyone else's level. Um, no, it's just frustrating to see the negativity around it. It's encouraging to see all the positivity as well. And, you know, if this is to happen again in the future with another athlete, which it definitely will, uh, I just want to make sure that we are seeing more and more positivity rather than the negative backlash of saying, oh, you're being soft, you know, this generation, blah, blah, blah. Just, just get out, just try to get out of that mindset. I, I think that's the only thing I can say to people like that. It's, I mean, you're part of the problem that's, uh, and you're going to have to find a way to figure it out because this is the way the world's going. We're trying to embrace our humanity a little bit more. Um, we're trying to look out for each other as individuals and, you know, just, just try to be on the right side of this year. I, I think that's all I really can say about it because I, at this point, there's been plenty of it already said. Um, and I think there's just a really, a right way to, a right, a right side of the conversation to be on. Yeah, no, I completely agree. And if you think about it, Naomi Osaka had, uh, 
had a mental health um, thing that she had to take care of. And she doesn't owe any of us anything. And she has now gotten better. She's competing at the Olympics. And I think she's even stated that that time off from what was it, the French Open did help her. So it is very great to see that she was able to benefit from being able to take time off. Um, it's also great to see because obviously, as you said, she Simone Biles may wear the you know greatest of all time thing on her shoulder, but the fact of the matter is, is that's still going to be taxing. And that's still got to be like, there's got to be a lot on her mind. And I think she's even voiced on Twitter that there's been a lot on her mind. And she's been very appreciative of all the, uh, the all the like, um, heaps of like, you know, like feel better and get better and keep, keep yourself, you know, staying healthy in which I, I'd reiterate, just make sure you're, you know, the best you can be. Um, it, it's great to see that type of stuff, but these athletes don't owe you anything. They are human as much as we are. Um, just like actors are as human as much as we are just as, you know, like, like you know, we're all human. It's not like I'm owed anything for Andrew Luck retiring when he did. And I'm, you know, and I'm a Colts fan. I, I was a Colts fan for a few years. Luck retired. I stuck with the team. I'm not like, you know, you have to come back to the team. You, you know, you signed this contract. You have to be here. No. I mean, would it be cool to hear that he's doing well? Yeah. I mean, he's not on socials. So, I mean, it would be cool to, if, if he was like, yeah, yeah, I'm all good. But I'm not owed that. This is life. He, he wants to go and start, uh, start a family and enjoy being a family man. You do you. So just you, you need it. It's, it's very much the thing of treat your neighbor like yourself. And if you were to need to take a mental health break or you were to need to take a break for something physical or whatnot, you you can't go and you blame the athlete for getting injured or having to go out on a mental health break or any of those types of things. Support them. And that could help them feel better. But just, you know, it's it's the fact that they don't owe you this. This is their job. And, you know, if they can't compete at this one thing, as Osaka's doing, she's competing at this other thing, and now she feels better. And, you know, hopefully Osaka can do as good as she can during the Olympics. And even think of it on the plus side, now we're able to see Suni Lee shine. And now, you know, well, U.S. still won the gold for gymnastics, and Suni Lee had an incredible thing. And now we're, we are able to see her family celebrate and whatnot. So you need to give not only these athletes you need to treat them like humans but then you you, like you know we were able to have this moment for suni lee where she was able to shine and rather than you know the kind of like what we talked about with the nba and the fact that lebron 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 and the fact that it's uh you know just talking about certain players of certain teams we were able to highlight suni lee rather than you know maybe maybe she would have got silver if simone biles competed maybe and then Simone Biles would have been most of the talk of the media. But now we're able to talk about Suni Lee. We're able to praise her excellent performance at gymnastics and what a performance she had. Yeah, um, no, I, I agree with you uh, on that. And yes, I, uh, the Suni Lee story, very great to see. If I can just say one more quick thing on Simone Biles. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. It's not up to 
these two gentlemen to make these statements, I think it would really help discourse if guys like LeBron James and Tom Brady uh, outwardly voice their support. I honestly don't know if they have. I haven't seen anything. Uh, I have, yeah. I've looked on their social medias. I haven't seen anything there. Um, I don't know if they said anything to the media, but in, in terms of that, that kind of uh, real, recognized real uh, conversation that we can have where guys like LeBron and like Tom Brady, who are kind of these figures right now uh, mm-hmm. in the anti-Simone Biles camp, um, if they came out and voiced, and vo- uh, voiced their support uh, for Simone and her decision, um, I, I think it would really help matters because I really think that this is an important conversation to have in regards to mental health in this country. And again, not up to them. I'm not making a demand. I'm not making even a request because yep. uh, I, I have no place to demand that of them. I think it would just really be nice for the conversation if that kind of uh, support came out uh, for Simone in in this area. Um, just to comment on this new thing, obviously a great story. Uh, I won't lie. I have not watched too much of the Olympics. Uh, I've just been following the big headlines, obviously like the Simone Biles story, but this as well. Uh, great to see. It's another gold medal for the United States. Uh, seeing her family's reaction was so enjoyable. Um, like- seeing her father was just a, a very nice heartwarming moment. So uh, very happy uh, to see. Th- th- this is what the Olympics are for me. Like It's, it's yeah. not really even just seeing uh, a country or even a single person dominate, although that is fun, you know, seeing the Usain Bolts and Michael Phelps of the world uh, just dominate. But it's also seeing the human side, seeing that great humanity, seeing the great work that these athletes put in to get here. And then obviously uh, when they're able to win gold, when they're able to compete at the highest level and win at the highest level, that, that, that to me is what the Olympics are for. It's not necessarily for uh, even just athletic achievement. It's celebrating humans. Um, and I think that's a good place to go with what, like what our favorite moments have been. And I, I honestly got to say, man, this, uh, who's, where is he from? From Tunisia, uh, Ahmed Hafnoui, I think is how you pronounce it. Um, barely qualified in qualifiers. I think he was like the last guy in and he goes to lane eight and he wins gold in the 400 meter freestyle. That's great. I think that was awesome to see. Um, so I, I think that was my favorite moment of the Olympics so far for me. Uh, how about yourself? Uh, my favorite moment was, uh, I mean, I have been able to catch as much as, you know, even I would have liked to because of uh, work and whatnot, but what I have been able to catch um, has been some late night swimming and I grew up swimming. So I have a lot of appreciation and love for the sport, but I really loved the moment um, when I saw, I think it was Wednesday where it was the four by 200 women's relay. And you had uh, Australia who was kind of uh, penned to be the gold, uh, gold medalists um, going into it. But then coming out of the race, three teams broke the world record with China winning it, getting gold. And then um, you had the U S in second getting silver with Australia and bronze uh, in bronze. But as I said, all three of those teams broke the world record in that race, which is incredible. It was such a fun swim to watch, including into that, uh, into that, that Katie Ledecky, um, the United States were behind by like probably a, a, a second or so from the world record. And Katie Ledecky, uh, was the anchor for a relay and she alone, um, 
caught us up to the record and helped us pass Australia, who at the time, China and Australia were both ahead of us by like a couple seconds. So Ledecky just threw the rest of the, like the, the, the rest of the women, like, you know, they had great swims, but Ledecky was just on another level there. Like she really sent it home for the team and it was an incredible swim from her. But then of course, as I said, the, the Chinese women's team, Australian women's team and U.S. women's team all have something to be proud of because they all three broke world records. So congratulations to them and big congratulations to China who got the gold in it. So. Yeah. And man, when, when did the Olympics even end? I don't know how much longer they're going on for, but I know we want to just do a quick, uh, medal count um for it looking at this uh so china uh and it's august 8th okay hang on i want to sort this because i want to sort by total medals um china is currently leading with 19 golds to japan 17 and the united states 14 uh but it looks like the united states is ahead in total medal count with 41 um let me see here if i can sort here because they're they're doing the uh what is going on here? I am just went to Olympics.com and they are just glitching me out. They are sending me so many ads. Um, okay, let's see, let's see, let's see. Rank by total. Here we go. Okay. Uh, yes, the United States are at 41. Uh, China is at 40. Uh, man, I don't get how Russia still is allowed to go here after their giant steroid scandal, but whatever. They're at third, 34. Japan is in fourth with 28 total. Um, all right. So with that being said, I think we can move off Olympics for now. Uh, we can get, let's get into Aaron Rodgers just real quick. I want you to highlight the press conference uh, we, and then we can get into some soccer stuff to wrap up today. Um, so we, we talked about last week, we were doing our fantasy show. Uh, we talked about Aaron Rodgers. We were talking about Devonte Adams. Uh, there has been some uh, contract problems there, but Aaron Rodgers did just get an extension or like they gave concessions. No, it wasn't an extension, but it was resolved. It was resolved. I think it was like concessions or something from Green Bay's side. Uh, so he will be playing for Green Bay this year. Uh, it feels like the last dance, though. It feels like this is the last year with Aaron Rodgers and Green Bay with Devontae Adams. Yep. Uh, they did make him a little happier, too. Um, they brought in Randall Cobb. I don't know what the compensation is for that, but I don't imagine it's that much. I mean, Randall Cobb at this point in his career, I don't think is worth much more than like a sixth round pick. Um, but I think it's just a good locker room presence for Aaron Rodgers. And maybe he Maybe he actually does something this year uh, for Green Bay as wide receiver. Um, so, so, yeah, how, how about you focus on that? Uh, you have some press conference notes that you want to talk about. But also, just real quick, I love that whenever Aaron Rodgers is brought up, Jordan Love immediately drops the t- jumps to the top of trending on Twitter with everyone making fun of him. So, uh, with that being said, let's dump it off to you. And, you know, what do you have to say about Aaron Rodgers? So I, I haven't been able to catch the press conference as a full. I was able to catch four minutes of it. And then there was like an end bit um, that uh, showed, you know, like uh, his like thanking and whatnot. But in the press conference that I watched, it was very much a dump on the organization that is the Green Bay Packers. Not the fans, not the players that he's been with, but the organization itself. Um, the, what happened with this contract is that it is now made it to where this is the last year of his contract. He had three years um, originally, but the contract has now been restructured to where it this is his last year. He will be a free agent. He will be out of Green Bay after this season. And he voiced a lot of displeasures with the organization um, uh, with this. And, and as you said, like, yeah, this is the last dance. So 
he voiced a lot of the displeasures, um, particularly coming from the fact of he's not involved. Well, he has never been involved, apparently, or minimally involved in free agent conversation, recruiting conversation, um, really anything involved with the team, um, like like player retention as well. And he had a list of like probably a dozen players that he said Green Bay kind of mistreated in contract talks and are players that shouldn't have been let up, including the likes of Jordy Nelson, Randall Cobb, Charles Woodson. Um, I think he had even Brian Bulaga in there amongst others. So he pointed out about a dozen players that he think were wronged by the organization. He pointed out the fact that he was, he, he didn't say specifically that he was wronged, but kind of the fact of he was never um, given any say into what's going to happen in his career. And with that being free agency recruiting, um, et cetera. And I went on to thank the fans and thank players. And he, he was going to say a, a thanks organization, but he purposely cut that kind of showing the fact that he is done with green Bay organization. He is done with everything that they've kind of taken him through and he's going to be out of this team. Devonte Adams, who knows Rogers is out and specifically Stephen A. Smith actually rounded this up kind of uh, well and saying um, along the lines of this is how you classify the treatment of a superstar when he's produced for over a decade, yet you don't want his input with the offensive personnel. You don't want his input with free agency. You don't want his input with regards to recruiting. Essentially, you told Aaron freaking Rogers to shut the hell up and play. Now, who, who in the hell should want to work for an employer like that? And I completely agree with Stephen A. Smith. Aaron Rodgers, as I think we would all be willing to say, is one of the best quarterbacks that the game has seen. He's incredible, but he doesn't have really the, you know, the the the, the trophy cabinet really for it. He's he's a multi-time MVP. Um, I think he was a Super Bowl MVP, including the fact that he won the ring with Green Bay. Uh, what was it about a decade ago now um, against Pittsburgh? It's crazy that someone who's this talented does not have more rings yet he has been the MVP multiple times. Um, in my personal view, Aaron has every right to be frustrated with the team, like Tom Brady had every right to be frustrated with the Patriots towards the end of his tenure there. And it is going to be great for him to go and go to a team that should not only care about him, but a team that will give him the say into his future to where then he will be able to hopefully um, win a Super Bowl. Uh, I mean, I don't know if we want to talk about prospective teams. I We've talked about Denver before when it was draft time. I think that could be a great team for them. They're a team that's shown that they're good at treating veteran quarterbacks right. Um, but, yeah, this is the last shot for Green Bay to win a Super Bowl with Rodgers. Um, for the team, I hope for the best. For the organization, um, don't really care either way. But hopefully Rodgers can do well, and I guess we'll see with Devontae Adams and other players in Green Bay, particularly with how he just talked, what the players are going to do. Because that press conference was very telling on the organization itself, and I think is going to be very interesting to see how the players are going to react to it and how the players moving forward post Aaron Rodgers are going to work with the org and if they're going to be willing to play for the team or if they're going to want to go into free agency. Yeah. I don't think we need to talk about um, respect teams at the moment. I think we just like see how it goes. Uh, 
on um, see see how it goes throughout the season. See how training camp maybe goes with Aaron Rodgers. I mean, it's Aaron Rodgers. I'm not too worried about it. Um, sorry, bud. I think I have to break some news to you. Uh, I don't know if you have Shefty's tweet notifications on, but uh, Adam Schefter, as of eight minutes ago, quote: Colts quarterback Carson Wentz is out indefinitely as he undergoes further testing on a foot injury that he suffered at the end of Thursday's practice, per Mike Wells, NFL, and me. Colts second-year QB Jacob Eason took the starter reps at today's practice with Sam Ellinger as his backup and tweet. Um, instant reactions? Uh, sad. Sorry, buddy. That's uh, maybe, 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 Hey, how, how about this? How about we talk about another one of your teams that has some good news? Huh? How, how about we talk about some Manchester United? How about that? How about you just go off on You know that? what? That made me instantly feel better. So that's what I'm here for. That's what I'm here for. Damage control. Damage cool. control. We need damage control after that. That hurts. Oh, well, let's not think about that. Let's think of the positive. No, and no, yeah, positive, positive, positive. That's what we're doing. Let's, here. let's, let's, let's think of the positive, man. Uh, you know, Edward Wood might be out at the end of this year, in which you know, thank the Lord. Um, now with the Glazers, but beyond that, we're actually doing something this window. We're like, this is the most excited I've been about this team since probably we signed Lukaku. And Manchester United, during this transfer window, during the past couple of weeks, actually, confirmed the fact that they have signed not only Jaden Sancho, um, who we've been looking at since last summer, but also Rafael Varane. Uh, part of the reason we talk about this, of course, is because I'm big with soccer, but also because this is my team, and they're a, one of the best teams in the or one of the biggest named teams in the world. And... I don't know if you have much of a view on either of these players, but Jaden Sancho is incredible. He's young. He's in a talented winger. It's exactly what my club has been looking for. Um, and when Rashford is healthy after he gets his shoulder surgery, um, which he's been needing, I think that Rashford and Sancho will be an excellent pairing going forward. And then Rafael Varane is someone who I've wanted uh, to come to this team for like three to four years now, basically ever since France won the world cup and seeing how good he's been with Real Madrid. And I think that though some of the fans are instantly saying that, Oh, this is our next Ferdinand Vidic pairing. It's this is the most confident I have felt in a center back partnership since Ferdinand and Vidic. I'll say that. I'm not going to say that they have the potential of Ferdinand and Vidic, you know, one of the best center back duos of all time, but they have a very good potential. Uh, Veron, of course, World Cup winner, four-time Champions League winner. Uh, you know, I, I, he has La Liga trophies for himself. He's been in Ballon d'Or talks in the, the years in the past and is still a talented center back with a good bit of time to go. I think he's only like, gosh, is he like 27, 28? Veron is, uh, yeah, he's 28. So he's still probably got like five more years of prime center back play. I'm I'm excited for my team, man. And it's just going to make watching the Premier League that much more fun. Not only because, you know, hopefully my team can find consistency again, but it's just going to make it more fun because of uh, just having this type of talent in the league and being able to watch Manchester derbies if Manchester City signs Jack Grealish from Aston Villa. Um, obviously, there's been a lot of other big transfers, and I think we're going to talk about Premier League and some transfers and whatnot later in the month. Um, as things are starting to get to a close, but just specifically talking about this stuff now, I don't know, as I said, I don't know how much of a view you have on this, but this is incredible signings and I'm pumped. And as you said, this is a great remedy for the news that you just broke. So I'm I'm sorry I had to do that to you, bro, but uh, yeah, 
Yeah, but I, I do like that you highlighted that. Um, we are planning on doing some previews for some Euro soccer, namely EPL, but obviously we also want to do some NCAA football and some NFL news as well. Uh, and those will be their own podcasts later on. Um, yeah. so all that being said, I think the only last thing that we have to cover real quick before we wrap up today's episode, sorry, it's another bit of a long one uh, back to back, but uh, some more domestic soccer. Uh, CONCACAF Gold Cup final will be Sunday night. It'll be sort of a rematch of nations. Uh, the United States and Mexico after that Nations League final last month um, will be going at it Sunday night. Uh, I mean, hey, I haven't been able to watch most of it, but I know that these are both pretty much the B teams. Um, yeah. Last night's game against Qatar, I was unable to watch. I was at work, and I will be at work again Sunday night, so I won't be able to watch this one at all either. How much Gold Cup have you been watching? Because, I mean, the United States men's team, it, it seems like they're doing okay, but it seems like at the same time they're a little underwhelming in terms of their goal production. You know, uh, in the game against oh, – what was the knockout game? Was it Jamaica? They scored early. And then they didn't score again. And then last night against Qatar, they didn't score until a lot later. And they mm-hmm. kind of have just been walking away with these close game wins. Um, will, they need to bring, will they need to bring a better game against this Mexico squad? Or do you think that they can still play more of the same and still put up a good fight? I think Mexico probably has the all, uh, overall better squad. I think they brought a couple more A players. Um, as we talked about, I think that this trophy is going to be a lot more important to them than it is to us. We're trying to find some more players that can fit into our 23 man A team. They're, you know, trying to bounce back off the nation's league. Um, yeah. I mean, other than one game against Martinique, we have been scraping by with one, nothing wins, not really looking that impressive, but looking decent. Like there's been, some players that haven't looked that good at all and some that have actually looked pretty solid and players that'll probably fit into our 23 man squad, like Matthew Hopp, for example. Um, I think there's, de- there's definitely some others as well. Like Turner's probably earned the, his place of being our third string keeper or maybe even number two, depending on how uh, we feel on Stefan, but well, Stefan and Horvath, but I mean, yeah, I mean, we haven't been overly impressive. Um, Mexico really hasn't either, but they've actually been able to put uh, like, you know, I think they've been able to put in more goals consistently. I mean, I'm going to go ahead and check to make sure, but I'm pretty sure that they've at least had uh, like more consistency rather than one, nothing games. Yeah. I mean, they had, they had one draw, but otherwise they have a three, nothing uh, multiple three, nothing wins, a one, nothing win. And then the two, one win against Canada last night. Um, one like at the dead end of the game. I don't know. I mean, I don't think either of these sides are really that exciting. Um, just going into this final. So it's going to be interesting. There's some people that are just like, oh, Mexico just has a way better side. But I don't think that, like, Mexico hasn't sold me that they're going to beat the U.S. Um, So I don't know how to feel on this. This is very much more of like a – it feels a lot more of a balanced game than I thought it would have been. So it's going to be very intriguing to see. And – I mean, hey, I'll be excited if Baralter can somehow pull two trophies for us this summer. Um, and we'd have our 23-man squad uh, hopefully going into Qatar next year. That'd be crazy. And, you know, matter of fact, we beat Qatar, which is a team that was basically getting three goals a match or more. Like, they were on fire offensively. And that was probably their A team we just beat. So I, I, I Like, I don't fully know, but I think that, that that's most likely their A team. 
So, I don't know. I'm feeling a lot more confident in our chances of winning than I thought I would have. I don't know if I really have a prediction for the game. It'll probably be low scoring with given how both sides have been playing. It's going to be an interesting watch. But. Yeah, certainly, certainly. Um, I mean, basically, this is the last game for the men's team until uh, World Cup qualifying in September. So, yep. being how you know the B team does here, and then finally, you know, whatever players come from this uh, Gold Cup and then join the A squad for that Qatar qualifying uh, round, it'll be fun to wait and see how they end up doing. Um, okay, so let me see here. Ooh, all right, so we've had a location for the first game hosted by the United States. It is against Canada, and is September 5th, uh, so Labor Day weekend in Nissan Stadium in Nashville. And then the next one they host is against Jamaica in October in Texas. Ooh, so this, that might be interesting to watch. Um, yeah, it looks like in September we have uh, September we have El Salvador, Canada, and Honduras. And the following month we have Jamaica, Panama, and Costa Rica. And we're going to be playing all these CONCACAF teams that you guys have seen throughout the Gold Cup. Um, I, I don't know exactly our qualifying group. I think that's the, I mean, it might just be every single team in CONCACAF, it looks like, uh, or at least a lot of the teams there. Uh, I think they're, they're in the octagon now. I think they're in the uh, octagonal. So they've got the eight hmm. teams, so 14 games, and I think top three make yeah. it in. And then I think, uh, yeah, and then, and then like a fourth makes it in, but they have to like uh, be go to a playoff, playoff of nations, I believe. Yeah, well, yeah, I th- I, it's that or I think they may have gone up like against one of the teams that qualified in the Asian. Uh, right, right. It, it's that it's like that playoff. I think that because um, I, I was looking this up oh, a while ago, but uh, North America, Caribbean, um, I think South America, Oceania and yep. Asia all get like a half uh, team in on top of the teams that they already get in. And those f- four nations send each send a team uh, to a playoff and whoever wins that playoff, I believe gets the last spot or maybe it's two spots um, are open up to qualification. Um, I don't know. Maybe, maybe we'll see that, but a- after this game, it, no uh, men's national team games until qualifying uh, in September. Uh, but hey, okay, qu- quick, quick note on the gold cup. I've never seen this before. I don't know if this is common in soccer, but I just hopped on a betting site real quick and the money line for all three outcomes, you obviously have the United States win, you have the Mexico win, and then you have the draw uh, after 90 minutes and extended time. Uh, all of them are plus odds right now, which I don't think I've ever seen happen. Like you, you get plus odds on everything. Um, spread, they have Mexico at only minus a half and the over under is set at two, two and a half. So, hey man, I don't know. That, that's just something. That's just a, a fun note. I've never seen happen before. I've never seen yeah, that's crazy. three plus odds for a money line bet. Um, so maybe, 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 maybe uh, while I'm at work, I uh, just keep uh, keep the score updated a little bit and <laughs> see what I want to do. All right. Um, I think that's a good place to stop. Pretty much done at one o'clock. Um, so again, sorry to hit you over the head with that bad news, but it just kind of came across my timeline there. Um, you know, when we do our NFL show, maybe maybe a, an update comes and we get a better idea uh, for the. Well, Colts. indefinite makes it sound bad. So yeah, and it's a foot again, and he's had foot feet before. I don't know, 
<laughs> Wait, quick side note before I wrap up. I always found it funny when we talk about injuries with players and we say, oh, he has a head or he has a foot or he has a hip. It's like, yeah, he has one of those, but it's, uh, but it's broken right, right now. So maybe he doesn't, doesn't really have a useful one. He has a foot. He's dealing with a foot right now. Like, okay, what does that mean? That can mean a multitude of things. Um, all right, before I get too carried away with this, uh, I don't want to wrap up today. Uh, Colburn, thank you once again for doing one of these with me. Always a good time to get these out to you guys weekly. Um, hey, just uh, stay safe out there. Thank you all for listening. Uh, other episodes of the 3304 Sports Podcast available on Acre and Spotify. Have a great day and take care.